Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Murder in Illinois is a production of iHeartRadio. In August of 2012, five years after the deaths of his family, Christopher Vaughn's case headed to court. Vaughn's initial defense team had been dismantled when its funding evaporated, so he was now represented by a public defender. Here's Bill Clutter. By the time the death penalty was abolished, it was March of 2011. So we, we had been investigating the case and learning the case for an entire four years. And then once those resources went away, when it was no longer a, a capital case, the funding reverted to the county. Prosecutors had originally planned to try this case as a death penalty case, but in the five years since the murder, the death penalty has been abolished here in the state of Illinois, and the fund used to pay for Christopher Vaughn's public defenders has been eliminated. He now has new attorneys. Something that would have a mixed impact on Vaughn. The good news is they're abolishing the death penalty. The bad news is they're abolishing the death penalty, which means you don't get the resources to defend yourself before trial. And in many cases, prosecutors were making those decisions to file their intent not to seek the death penalty because it would do just that. The defense that Vaughn ended up going into that courtroom with, as compared to the level that the prosecution had at the time, how would you categorize it? People use the analogy of David versus Goliath, but in this case, it was David versus Godzilla. I'm Lauren Bright Pacheco, and this is Murder in Illinois. But you did try to To recap, Christopher Vaughn was held without bond in the Will County Jail in Illinois. So from the time he was arrested at his family's funeral in 2007 until the time of his trial in 2012, he'd spent the last five years of his life in jail. Regardless of the verdict, a man who hadn't yet been convicted of a crime had already lost five years of his life to incarceration. 
and Gail and Pierre Vaughn were very wary about their son's downgraded defense as he headed to court. Well, John Rogers and Jerry Killian were both expert lawyers, and they they worked very hard on it for four years, and they knew the thing inside and out, and they they were ready to go to trial, but they kept the state kept putting them off. If you're on trial for murder in Illinois, like Chris was, the state pays the lawyers and pays for your defense. Once they did away with the death penalty, they called our two lawyers in and said, hey, look, unless you want to finish this thing pro bono, we're not going to pay you anymore. And we couldn't afford, I mean, our house wasn't even a fit in the bucket compared to the money that we would have had to provide. Right. I mean, the lawyers told us that this trial was probably costing the state of Illinois somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to $20 million. And I thought, well, that's a lot for lawyers. But, you know, the state of Illinois also drug it out for four years. So that's kind of their own fault. So lawyers just said, hey, look, you know, we can't finish the thing pro bono. They offered the state of Illinois like 250000 If you give us 250000 we'll finish the case. And the state of Illinois wouldn't do it. But then they hired our public defender and his two associates to get up to speed on the case. So it was like, okay, you wouldn't pay our lawyers 250 grand, but you paid your three lawyers and you still had to pay the prosecution lawyers to be involved with it. So the money didn't add up. You know, it's just a matter of getting rid of our good quality lawyers. And Pierre had another issue with Chris's new defense. Well, and this is my opinion, here's the thing. The public defender lawyers are paid by the same people who pay the prosecuting lawyers and who pay the judges. It all comes out of the same checkbook. So if your person signing your check insinuates or lets you know that this is the way things should go, what are you going to do? As mentioned before, Chris also had the misfortune of sharing a courthouse with another high-profile case that was happening at the same time, along with the press frenzy that accompanied it. In just the first day, attorneys agreed on 12 of the 18 jurors they'll need for the Christopher Vaughn trial. It's a trial taking place, by the way, in a courtroom literally next door to the murder trial of Drew Peterson. Christopher Vaughn's trial unfolded in the same courthouse during the same time period under the same state's attorney, James Glasgow. Here's Pierre Vaughn. Drew Peterson was a police officer that had a couple wives go missing. And as it turns out, his final trial came up the same time Chris did. So it was a media circus. There was cameras TVs set up outside. There was a drawing for seats. They, they had to they had to take a drawing for the reporters to get in and take seats in both both cases. And you know our our judge said that that Drew Peterson's case would not have a any reflection on his judgment, but it did. He was he was interviewed by the press just like everybody else, and he wasn't going to be outdone by Drew Peterson's case. Let's put it that way. So. Yeah, it was a big media circus at the end of every day after court. Good old Blasco would be out there in the street talking about how he's prosecuting these two guys and everything, and he never even appeared in either courtroom. But he was holding a lot of press conferences. Oh, yes. Yes, he was He was running for election. At this point, the Peterson trial had garnered national attention. Drew Peterson was eventually convicted of killing his third wife, Kathleen Savio, and his fourth wife, still missing to this day, is suspected to have met a similar fate. The case somewhat overshadowed Vaughn's. This trial is expected to last about six weeks, and interestingly enough, it's being heard right next to the courtroom where the Drew Peterson murder trial is underway. Running for re-election, Glasgow was quite vocal about his intention to secure convictions for both Peterson and Vaughn. And his opponent at the time accused Glasgow of manipulating the timing of both trials for political purposes. 
Here's Gail Vaughn. He was trying to be reelected, and he actually used Chris as one of his platforms. But that wasn't a new development. Glasgow had been consistent on Vaughn, even before his funeral day arrest a week after the murders. Yeah. Uh, their very first news conference, they already decided he was guilty. When it was Mr. Glasgow and the police commissioner, and they were standing up there answering questions for the reporters, um, they said, yep, we'll, we'll get him, we'll bring him in. They didn't even give him a chance. Here's Bill Clutter's take on whether those press conferences had a negative impact on Vaughn. Oh, I have no doubt about it. I mean, he was already tried and convicted in the media. And, you know, just having to go into Will County with all of that intense publicity, he was already convicted in the court of public opinion. Rounding out the hurdles was the police department's apparent tunnel vision as to Chris's guilt from the very day of the murder. There never seemed to have been much doubt from the state's attorney's side of things that Kim was innocent and Chris premeditated the entire thing, and the media and press followed along. It's typical in many of these cases, and time after time that I've been involved. You know, it's hard enough when you're innocent, trying to prove your innocence, but it's even more difficult when you have to overcome the pretrop publicity that's already made up many of the minds of jurors when they walk into that courtroom. So Chris headed into court with a five-year public perception of guilt and very few supporters. Here's Gail. There was nobody in his corner except our two lawyers and Bill. That was it. And we come from a small family, so we didn't have a lot of people to storm the, the court or anything. During the trial, the press made much note of Chris's demeanor. His flat affect, in particular, was pointed out by many to be indicative of his guilt or lack of remorse. But there are a number of things that likely played into this perception. Number one was that Chris Vaughn had been in jail for five years before the trial began, and there was much more to that than the public was aware. After he was convicted, his parents would gain disturbing insight into what Chris was going through in the time leading up to and during his trial. Let me run this past you. How about this situation? When you're brought over from the jailhouse to the courthouse, you're brought over in your jail clothes. But before you leave the jail, you are strip searched naked. Put your clothes back on, get on the bus, go over to the courthouse. There you're given the clothes that we brought him to go into court. There again, you're strip searched, cavity searched, your clothes are searched, and then you're allowed to get dressed. In the meantime, you're being physically and verbally abused by the guards. During the entire trial? Yes, and every hearing. You didn't give me your response. I'm speechless. Yeah, we were too. When did you find out that that was happening? He was told and threatened on what to do. We didn't find this out until he was in Menard for a year. Menard is Illinois' largest maximum security adult male facility. It's considered the toughest prison in Illinois and where Chris would be sent after his conviction. We finally got him to open up a little bit. Because at Menard, you didn't have to go through a phone system. And even though they had cameras on you, we were able to talk to him a little more personable than when we had been in, in uh, Joliet on the phones. When I pressed, Chris confirmed his treatment at Joliet and commented it actually prepared him for the reality of Menard. At Joliet, it would seem, many of the people responsible for overseeing Chris's well-being and captivity did everything they could to make life as unpleasant as possible, particularly during his trial. Here's Gail. And, and while he was in captivity in Joliet, they had the, the night, night squad that would come in and intimidate and shake them down and strip them and make them stand outside their cells or in their cells. And, 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 and toss their cells looking for contraband. With, while you had nothing on, with another group of guys. I mean, Chris 
Chris was just pummeled from all directions. Psychologically, he, he was still trying to understand that his family was no longer there. He's being brutally, viciously talked to and, 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 you know, Chris is very sensitive mentally. According to Pierre and Gail, that treatment intensified during the trial. And when he was waiting, if there was a break during court and Chris was taken out or he got, he arrived at the courthouse early, they would put him in a cell that was unclean. It, it reeked. And, and with nothing there, just a chair in the middle of a small cell room, period. I mean, this kind of had something that, due to your spiky, I, just the way they demeaned him a lot. Once the trial began, the prosecution presented the jury with their version of how the incident occurred. In their series of events, Christopher Vaughn fatally shot everyone in his family on a secluded stretch of the Interstate 55 frontage road. They allege Vaughn pulled the family's Ford Expedition over, got out under the guise of checking a cargo compartment on the roof of the SUV, then grabbed his wife through the open passenger window, stuck a pistol wrapped in his fleece to disguise it, under her chin and shot her before turning his attention to his three children. Prosecutors allege Christopher Vaughn pulled their SUV onto a frontage road near Shanahan during a family trip, killing them and shooting himself in the leg. But Vaughn says that his wife was the one who pulled the gun. She shot him in the leg, he told investigators, before he ran off. Then he claims she killed their kids and herself. Jurors paid close attention as Fitzgerald highlighted again how blood evidence at the scene of the family's SUV did not support Vaughn's version of events on that morning in June of 2007. Recall that Vaughn told investigators repeatedly during his initial questioning that he couldn't remember exactly what happened. Those gaps were used against him. Highly problematic for Vaughn was the fact that in the initial interrogation, he gave the impression that he'd left the car before Kimberly shot herself. But her blood was found on the back right of the fleece he'd been wearing. And there were other damning things, too. Prosecutors claim it was Vaughn who pulled the trigger and staged his own injuries. They say he was hoping to cash in on a $1 million life insurance policy he had on his wife. They also planned to present evidence that Christopher Vaughn had gone to a gun range the night before the murders and used the same handgun for target practice that was used in the killings. The prosecution also uncovered more things about Chris that would prove incredibly damaging to his defense. In October and November of 2006, the year prior to the murders, Chris began online correspondence with a man named Steve Willett on a website discussing outdoorsmanship and wilderness survival techniques. They had nicknames for each other. Willett was Flea and Vaughn was Flint. Chris never mentioned his kids on that site or during the discussions between the two. What he does discuss, however are survival techniques and the prospect of moving to Canada permanently in the future. Prosecutors say Christopher Vaughn killed his family all because he wanted to start a new life in Canada. And according to the police, Vaughn had been stockpiling wilderness gear. Officers uncovered a storage unit that Vaughn had rented that was full of camping equipment, sleeping bags, boots, and camp tools in addition to a jar of peanut butter and a bottle of Jameson whiskey. The prosecution was putting together a picture of a man who had kept tons of secrets and was potentially planning to fake his own death and run away from his family. We will come back to all of this later, but according to Erica Wurst, who covered the trial as a local reporter, it wasn't a flattering picture especially in contrast to the pictures of his deceased wife and kids. I mean, not only were the children adorable, Kim had, you know, a lot of friends, was going to school, worked in the pool house. Chris, as quiet as he was, still was providing for his family. I mean, everyone seemed to say he was a nice guy, just very demure. Then you find out, like, all the lies in this, like, alter life that Chris had been having underneath everyone's nose 
finding that out, seeing all the camping equipment, talking to his online buddy and planning everything. When that came out, boom, that was like another shock, a huge shock. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The prosecution intended to make mention of Chris's religious beliefs, which he admitted leaned towards Druidism, a modern spiritual movement based on Celtic-rooted mysticism that celebrates nature. Attorneys for Christopher Vaughn are asking a judge to bar any mention of his religious beliefs in his upcoming murder trial. They feel jurors will speculate on whether it's a religion or a cult. Prosecutors say they won't discuss Vaughn's religious beliefs, but may present jurors with postings Vaughn made online on a Druid mailing list. Police had confiscated books on Druidism from Vaughn's home. He later told police during a videotaped interview that his wife was upset with him over his religious beliefs, Druidism, and his recent admission of an affair he had during a business trip to Mexico a year earlier. Here again is Erica Wurst. For me, one of the big eye-opening things was when they brought up the gentleman from Canada, I believe, who Chris had been corresponding with about their great walk into the wild. There's a whole mission here. There's a whole goal here. And not one of those plans, missions, or goals entail your family or your child. He was lying to people about being married. He was lying to people about having a child. That was a big one. Hearing this guy talk about how he had no idea that Chris had a family and he thought that they were going to go do this. Steve Willett testified at the trial and the defense walked through all the various messages between him and Vaughn. Here's Bill again. I've read the emails years ago between him and, and Chris. So this is this is the guy Chris found on a wilderness website and he was kind of like an email pen pal. Exactly. Right. But I mean, the, the thing about this is they used his testimony to try to establish the narrative that Chris wanted to get rid of his family by killing them so he can go hiking off into the wilderness with his friend that he met online. His testimony was presented and they walked him through the various email communications. It was used to paint Chris in this awfully bad light. You know, just the grind of, you got a guy that looks like he's living the American dream. He's got this big house in Oswego, Illinois, in the suburbs of Chicago. He's got a job, and it's a successful career. He's making 200000 a year, but yet 
he wants to escape into the wilderness and get off the grid and leave civilization and the grind of it all. But I'm, I'm convinced that it wasn't Chris's intent to kill his family to accomplish that. He could have gone off into the woods and disappeared and never returned without having to kill his family. But then there were the strippers. Chris had spent almost $4,000 in the weeks prior to the murder in strip clubs. As many as four exotic dancers are expected to testify that Vaughn frequented strip clubs in Chicago and the suburbs months before the murders. He told one of the strippers he was single and even made bizarre statements about ancient souls. Chris Vaughn wasn't exactly coming across as a sympathetic defendant. Here's journalist Joe Hosey, editor of the Herald News. I don't think anybody really bought into his version of events. And then things started to come out with his online relationship with the guy in the Yukon and faking his death so he could get away from his family and they would get the life insurance or whatever it was. The strip clubs and dropping several thousand dollars in a couple weeks on one of the women. Prosecutors will also show the jury a cryptic poem allegedly found in Vaughn's jail cell that made references to a dancer named Maya that Vaughn had met at a Chicago strip club. If I'm not mistaken, the poems, what were they, written in Celtic or something? I mean, that's, that's a unique detail and it's strange, but when you're in jail for murdering your family and you're writing poems about a stripper and running, that's probably not a great optic. So, I mean... The stuff that was coming out, it, it didn't look good. Here again is Erica Worst. When the poem that was written to Maya was read out loud, that was a little disturbing because it showed this illusionment of like love and lust, knowing that like his wife's anniversary was like a day away. And that was just kind of that betrayal there that she wasn't even aware of what's happening. So that kind of stuff, thousands of dollars he spent on these girls. Granted, he didn't get dances from them or have sex with them. But I think just going there and, I don't know, sort of like a reprieve for him to get away from his house when he's going on all these scouting trips that he lied about. I don't know. Tell me what of that isn't evidence. At this point, one might ask why Chris would have gone through all of this trouble when, if his marriage was supposedly so bad, he could have just gotten divorced. During Chris's interrogation, the police asked the same question, and then Chris gave the response that would do him zero favors in the courtroom. Divorce is not an option. We'll come back to that. And then there was the murder itself. The prosecution established what they believed to be Chris's motive based on his emails with Willett and his behavior and infatuation with the strippers he was visiting, while at the same time painting Kim out to be the kind of mother who could not have possibly committed the crime. And then there was the prosecution's presentation of the crime scene and its emotional impact on the trial. Here's Gail. They had a, a large projected screen. It had to be been- five foot by seven foot. I mean, it was a huge showing screen. and They had pictures bigger than life on this, and they were awful. During the display of these photos, the jury focused on Chris, his demeanor, the look on his face. When the prosecutors put up a 72-inch big screen and showed all the pictures, Oh, the truck, the crime crime scene, scene. the bodies, every little thing that was involved in it. You know, they called it evidence. They showed them all the parts of the crime scene, but they didn't put it all together to make it a crime. And, you know, they had this big elaborate thing. They had three or four lawyers on their side. And when our guy got up there to, the public defender got up there, he brought up a laptop and set a laptop in a table you know, with a little 12-inch screen in front of a jury of 18 people and expected them to be able to see what he was talking about. The prosecutors put up a big shock and awe performance. They showed pictures of, of the children lying dead in the seats. They showed pictures of Kimberly. They just showed pictures to make you feel really shocked. I mean, it, it was it was terrible. And, and the whole time, the screen was just for the jurors, so 
the people on the defense did not see what they were seeing. But the jury could also see Chris. The jury was staring at Chris the whole time. And our, our defense attorney, Mr. Leonard, had talked to Chris about this before. And Chris had told him, please, I don't want to see those pictures. So when they thought Chris was looking at it on, a, on the little laptop screen, there was nothing there. We were not seeing the pictures that the, the jury was. And they based a lot of Chris's emotion on, wow, he's looking at those and he's looking at his fingernails or he's staring at the ceiling or he's looking down at a pencil. And Mr. Leonard had told Chris not to make comments about anything. So while the jury believed Chris's lack of reaction was to the pictures of his dead children, he was, in fact, seeing nothing. And he was doing exactly as he was instructed by his lawyer. But what the rest of the court was seeing was horrifying. Here's Erica Worst. They were horrible. They were horrible. You have little babies with, you know, bullet wounds that we're zooming up on and seeing. And Kim with her hand, like, slouched, like, down by the center council kind of and she's got her wedding ring on that's one that's like seared into my head just because you know it's so sad there's a wedding ring there's blood it's just something hard to look at you know even to see the kids clothing and Kim's clothing every part of it just shouldn't have happened then when you see that it actually did and it's real you know it takes it to another level Blake Cassandra and Abigail We've seen them alive and smiling in pictures. Oh, I seriously want to cry right now. You see them the way they ended up, and someone did that to them. And if you're a human being, you can't wrap your head around them. So Blake was behind Kimberly, Cassandra was in the center, and Abigail was behind the driver's seat. Uh-huh. And was, was Abigail um, holding a Harry Potter book? You know, there was a Harry Potter book. They had a little um, Mickey Mickey Mouse tissue thing. Um, pretty sure there was like a Charlotte's Web in there somewhere. They had blankets. They got up at four in the morning. You know how they were just probably groggy and still asleep. And, you know, you find Blake with his hands up in a defensive motion that's another thing that just makes me lose my breath is like he's looking at either one of his parents holding a gun to him and then the other two girls are watching what happened to the next one and I always think about that they're stuck in that back car and they're watching their siblings get killed one after another knowing they're next and the fear and the terror ugh Remember the emotion and even the recollection of those photos. We'll come back to it later. And then to see Kim in the front seat and her seatbelt, of course, is up and you see where the gun is, but she's bleeding. That's hard to see. And then you see Chris with a wound to his thigh and then his wrist. So, you know, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. Well, five people went in the car. One left. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The prosecution also pointed out that Chris's behavior after the shootings did not line up with someone whose family had just been killed. The medics who attended to Christopher Vaughn in the ambulance were called to testify. They said Christopher never made inquiries about Kim or Abigail or Cassandra or Blake, but one medic recalled Chris Vaughn expressed concern about his cowboy boots. Now, while in the emergency room after the shootings, he reportedly was upset about blood on his cowboy boots taken all together. Certainly, this is evidence that seems difficult to overcome. Chris had sustained non-life-threatening gunshot wounds, which the prosecution contended could easily have been self-inflicted to help his case. Here's Erica Worst again. In the ambulance, he is yelling at them about cutting off his boots and not ruining his jacket because he got it in the Yukon. And it's just so narcissistic. I was like, holy cow, is that your main concern right now? Is that your main concern. And they're like, maybe he doesn't know his family and kids are killed down the road. And I'm like, I wouldn't have left my family and kids killed down the road until, I don't know. That's the thing. I could have dreams about it every day. The defense did not have experts who could counter that perception in terms of Chris's psychological or dissociative state. Here's Pierre. Well, at that time, Chris didn't know his family was dead. All Chris knew was that his wife shot him. And, and his blood was on his boots. And when he got into the ambulance, rather than pull his boot off, they were going to cut the boot off. And he, all he did was ask them not to cut the boot off, just take the boot off. And somehow this got all construed around that he didn't care for his family. The defense made the case Kim had been experiencing erratic behavior leading up to the incident and again tried to argue the culprit for her rapid swing in behavior could have been one of the medications she was prescribed for her migraines, Topamax, which was flagged by the FDA after the killings. Here's Gail. Nearly two years passed before the FDA issued new warning labels and medication guides for Topamax. The warning labels inserted into the medications advised patients to immediately call their health provider if they were experiencing new or worse anxiety, feeling agitated or restless, having panic attacks, new or worse irritability, and unusual changes in moods or or behavior. This was documented from one of her doctors after one of her visits. She had called Chris because She was experiencing a behavioral problem. She was experiencing mood swings. She did have panic attacks. But because the drugs weren't uh, studied enough at that point in time, they didn't know these were danger signs. Was that discussed in the case in court? Not really. It, It was kind of skirted around. We had a specialist, Dr. Healy, who was supposed to talk about this, but the judge disallowed him because he said Dr. Healy would only be giving his opinion, not facts. This entire investigation was a tunnel vision. 
and it in, infected the entire group and and they only saw Chris as the villain. They didn't see Kim as a person that was asking for help. The testimony of other possible expert witnesses for the defense, like Dr. Terry Killian, who diagnosed Vaughn with dissociative amnesia, was also dismissed as opinion. And then there were other issues at play. Chris's sister-in-law, Rachel, was called to testify about a phone call she'd received from Kimberly Vaughn shortly before the killings. Here's her take on the team defending Chris. All I can say is, I know they were not very organized with me. I remember the lawyer called me once before the trial started. And he said that we'll probably call you to talk about your phone call. The trial's coming, but I don't know if I'm going to be called or when. So I finally called him and I said, am I supposed to be coming? Because I have to make plans. I have three children at that point and no family in town. So I need to know what's going on. And he finally said, well, we're pretty sure we'll call you on this day. So I had like a couple of days to get to Joliet. And I had no idea. I mean, I knew they they wanted to talk to me about the phone call. I didn't know what that meant. Never having stepped foot into a real courtroom before. In cases of this level, witnesses are usually walked through their testimony and prepared for possible cross-examination. Rachel took the stand without the time to even revisit a statement she'd given five years before, one in which Kim confided about two emotional outbursts she'd had in recent months, one with Chris's parents, the other involving an issue with one of the children's schools. I remember talking to Bill Clutter and him saying, I'm going to write down what you are saying. And I said, okay, well, five years later, I'm sitting outside a courtroom and they hand me a piece of paper and say, this was your statement. At that moment, I didn't remember giving a statement. I had never seen it. I had no idea. And so I cannot remember if the incident at school, because she just said something happened. It was with either a teacher or a principal or something. It was my impression. She overreacted. So I don't know if that was in the statement. Apparently, the defense had wanted Rachel to also testify about a comment Kim made on that call about her doctor. But in the end, it wasn't allowed. I only know this because I could hear them talking to the judge. But they were trying to get me to be able to say what Kim said about her doctor and what her dad thought about her doctor and that kind of stuff. But then they were, you know, hearsay and it was too too many layers in the chain there. And so they didn't allow them to ask that question. I told my husband that when I was done testifying, when I walked out of the room, my very first thought was, he's going to be convicted. It was in the air. You knew it when you were in there. I knew it when I was in there. The prosecution made their closing arguments, and the jury came back with a decision in 50 minutes. Here's Pierre. When they came into the courtroom at 9 o'clock, And for some reason, the prosecution was running long and they asked the jurors if they wanted to take a break for lunch. And they said no. They wanted to get this thing done and over with because it was a Friday, six weeks. Everybody was tired of it. And then we listened to the prosecution's closing statement that lasted three hours and went went through all the evidence, but never, never tied the evidence to the actual crime. He just, you know, just a lot of accusations and innuendos. Here's Erica Wurst's take. I was surprised at how fast it came in. That's got to be one of the fastest I've been in. I don't even think they got to lunchtime yet before it was thrown back. You know, and if it did take any longer than that, it was because they were sitting there back having lunch. But, you know, it was a swift verdict and that was the shocking part to me, but it just meant that they had their minds made up and that there wasn't a whole lot of tit for tat or questions coming back or anything. So they seemed pretty confident in in their verdict. The reaction in the courtroom was about what one would expect. Here's Joe Hosey. Was anybody surprised with the verdict? I I don't think anyone was surprised at all by the verdict. 
And the emotion, Erica Worst remembers, came from the Phillips side. There was crying on, on Kim's side. Chris got up and I just, you know, read my notes the other day and it was like, he got up and he didn't even look back at his family while he was being taken away. And I just remember thinking that, was that because you felt bad and you didn't want to look at your mom? Is that because it was too hard to look at your mom? Is that, why didn't he look back at them? So that, that was weird. It's always a, a crisscross of jubilation and utter heartbreak. But Kim did have a lot more people on his side that wanted justice served. Christopher Vaughn was found guilty on four counts of first-degree murder of his wife and three children and sentenced to four life sentences, a decision Erica Wurst, who'd covered the entire trial, agreed with when we first started speaking about the case. I believe with 98.9% surety that Christopher Vaughn killed his wife, Kimberly, and he's three kids. I don't know that you can show me anything outside of a confession that would prove otherwise. I mean, lots of convicts maintain their innocence. It's not unheard of. I'm not surprised that he's maintaining his innocence. I don't think he'll ever admit to killing his children and his wife. If it was Kim, then guess what? She can't tell us now. So yeah, I think he did it. And I think that I'm educated enough on the topic and sat through and looked every bit of piece of evidence to form an educated conclusion. Are there a couple things maybe you guys can find out or stick in or poke in? Sure, no trial is infallible. Here is the Will County State's Attorney, James Glasgow, at a press conference after the verdict. What this guy did here was a diabolical atrocity, and he's a heartless, soulless psychopath. That's the bottom line. That's what he is. Without any compassion, without any empathy for other human beings. There isn't a punishment that fits this crime. You could lock him up for 500 lifetimes, and it would not compensate the victims in this case or the family members. Fourteen years after the tragedy, and nearly a decade after that statement, Bill Clutter remains deeply frustrated by the verdict. We had experts that were prepared. We had the, the world's leading expert on medications causing homicidal and suicidal behavior, and that expert never testified. The jury never heard from that expert. We had two experts working on that issue. We had an expert in psychology working on uh, dissociative amnesia to explain that to the jury. That wasn't done. Clutter believes it could have made a difference. The defense presented its theory of defense that this was a, a murder-suicide. Obviously, it was ineffective, but how so? What, what else could have maybe turned their decision? Maybe hearing from key experts that the jury never heard from. Here's attorney Keith Altman, who would have been one of those experts. That the available evidence was not presented to a jury and for them to have made a, a decision based upon the evidence. That's what's infuriating. If the evidence was given to a jury properly and they decided to convict him anyway, that at least he had his day in court. But that's not what happened. And that's just it. There was evidence given by the prosecution with regards to the crime scene that simply didn't and still does not align with expert opinion. And based on new revelations, not all the circumstantial evidence holds up to scrutiny. If all the evidence were presented fully, what would it have shown?
On the next episode of Murder in Illinois, we'll carefully re-examine the issues that remain regarding the crime scene. She would have protected her kids like she was a mama bear. And explain inconsistencies in key elements of the prosecution's version of events. I didn't see any good psychiatric analyses in these reports. And scrutinize the way evidence was handled. And that's completely contrary to the initial belief of the state's attorney. To see if combined these things could have raised reasonable doubt. Murder in Illinois is a production of iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Lauren Bright Pacheco and Taylor Shacoin. Written by Lauren Bright Pacheco and Matthew Riddle. Story editing by Matthew Riddle. Editing and sound design by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. Featuring music by Cicada Rhythm. And new compositions engineered and mixed by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. Archived news reports provided by WGN. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the stories that matter to you. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.